I know that when I started this series on empowered, being powered, empowered by the Spirit, I, I mentioned to you when I started it that it was going to be for four weeks, and this is week number four. And as I was preparing this week, it, it became abundantly clear to me that I can't get everything that I feel the Spirit of the Lord wants me to teach into four weeks, so it's going to be six weeks. Uh, so it, it's going to go a couple of weeks longer because I just don't feel that we should rush through things that are vitally important to our life as it relates to being spirit-filled people. Today I want to approach the topic of being empowered to be relevant. Empowered to be relevant. And there are three verses that I want you to just kind of highlight this morning. Um, the first one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1. We're going to spend a lot of time in, in chapter 14 today, but in, in chapter 12, 1 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, what, what Paul was saying to us is, Church, I need you to understand what spiritual gifts are, their proper use within the body of Christ and within the church. I do not, do not want believers, and particularly spirit-filled believers, to be ignorant of these Powerful tools. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now we are talking here about people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, Spirit-filled believers, that each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit, has been given for the common good. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Follow the ways of love, and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, I recognize that as we approach your word, that what we absolutely must have is the anointing of your Holy Spirit for each of our minds so that we can receive the truth of your word and that it would, it would work itself into the beings that we are so that your spirit can be alive and well within us. And I pray today, God, that you would anoint me. I, I ask, Lord, for a special dispensation to be able to clearly articulate what you desire me to teach so that we can be people of the Spirit and people of understanding. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been some of you that have asked me through this series, can, you know, I've mentioned a few books from time to time and, and, um, that I have used as resources. And I want you to know I've used three books primarily, and I want to tell, them what, tell you what they are, so if you'd like to read them, you can. Uh, the first book is called The Spirit-Empowered Church by Alton Garrison. Uh, the Spirit-Empowered Church. The second one is called Power for Life by Jeff Leake. And the third one is The Holy Spirit, and Introduction by John Bevere. Um, the reason I tell you this is because if this is all the study that you do during the week, you're in deep trouble. You need to be people of the Word and people that are reading and filling your spirit with things that will edify you and build you and teach you. And there are some outstanding teachers and books out there that would help with that. And, and uh, I love reading and I love research. And somebody once told me, what's the difference in plagiarism and research? One book's plagiarism, three is research. So I just wanted to throw that out there as, as if when you read these books, you're going to say, hey, he preached on that. It was research. Just wanted you to know that uh, right from the beginning. For those of you that have attended here any length of time, you've heard me tell this story, but I want to share it with you anyway. So bear with me if you've heard it before. But when I was in high school, my father served the Assemblies of God as the National Youth Director. And so I had an opportunity to travel with him to many different states, youth camps, 
conventions, different places, conferences where he spoke, and it, it allowed me uh, to interact and become acquainted with some of the world-class leaders and families that we have around our nation in our, in our movement. And uh, I enjoyed being the speaker's kid. There were certain benefits that came along with that, uh, and I just really enjoyed that. And I also remember my dad leading a missions trip of a group of people, and when he came back home from that missions trip, he began to share with us as a family that he felt God was changing the trajectory of their ministry from being the national youth director to missionaries to some really, really remote people in Africa. And uh, his dearest friend was a missionary in Africa, and when they were out there, began to share with them some ways that the gifts that my dad had could be used in some of these countries. And as my father began to talk to mom about this, my mother began to have some misgivings because I was already in college. I have a sister that's three years behind me that would, that would be entering into college, and then I have an, a sister that's eight years younger than I am that would be the only one that would go with them to Africa. Uh, and I remember sitting around the table and we're talking about these things, and dad was becoming very passionate that he really felt that this is what God wanted him to do. And in my family, the way God had seemed to work, the pattern was God would lay something on my dad's heart and then would speak to my mother and confirm it and, and so when we were getting to the place where they were making application to become missionaries and my mother had not yet had that confirmation she was obeying simply because she knew that my dad had heard from God but the pattern was a little different because she hadn't heard yet and as it was getting close to the time when they were going to be approved to go and, and things were moving along rather rapidly my mom woke up on a Sunday morning and she got up and before we got together to go to church, she knelt beside her bed and she prayed, God, I have got to have a word from you today. I have got to know that if this is what my family is to do, if you're going to break my family up so that we can go to the wildest places of Africa, I have got to know that it's from you because it makes no sense to me. We attended Central Assembly of God in Springfield, Missouri, and and. That church ran between 1,200 and 2,000 people. It was, it was a large congregation. And that morning when we got to church, there was a guest evangelist by the name of Bernard Johnson who was there. And uh, he was a missionary evangelist to South America. And as he was introduced to speak, he stood up there, and I remember him just standing there for a moment. And, and um, if any of you have ever heard him, he was a, a boisterous, loud, just phenomenally spirit-filled man that just... And he stood there quietly for a moment. And as he did, the congregation settled and began to turn their attention to him. And, and here's what he said. Before I begin today, he said, there is somebody here that the Lord is just imprinting upon my heart that you are facing a decision. And it doesn't make any sense to you. It seems beneath you. And you even have friends that are asking you, why would you consider such a move? You have asked the Lord for direction and confirmation, and God wants me to tell you that this is his plan, and this is his direction for you. What doesn't make sense in the eyes of man makes perfect sense to God. Don't be afraid of where he is leading you, but obey in full assurance and confidence in the Lord. And I saw my mom just go, Whew. When we got together for lunch that day, mom began to share with us her early morning prayer, and how God had specifically and directly answered her with a powerfully and perfectly timed word of knowledge. And I saw, as a college student, 
the Spirit of God at work in a brand new light because it became intensely personal. The Spirit became intensely personal. I just described one of the most amazing instances I have ever seen of the Holy Spirit's work through the life of a surrendered believer. And if every story that we heard about the Holy Spirit moving in a congregation or among people ended in that way, there would not be anything controversial whatsoever about the experience. But some places, some of you have been to places where somebody expressed a spiritual manifestation or a spiritual gift that to you either was weird or it was awkward or it was confusing or it created a sense of pressure or manipulation in the way that it was expressed. Some have tried to give words of prophecy that give specific direction that doesn't make sense. And as a result of that, there are problems that have arisen because of spirit-filled people either misunderstanding or misusing the manifestations and the gifts of the Spirit. This was the problem in the Corinthian church. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he writes 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when he writes that, he is addressing some of the internal struggles that the church of Corinth is experiencing because here's what had happened to the Corinthian church. People were interrupting the service regularly, and they're just standing up, and they're randomly just speaking out in tongues. And then after they randomly speak in tongues, they just sit down, and there's nobody to interpret. Somebody else would randomly stand up and and begin to speak out, and there were others that were wanting to be used in the gift of prophecy that were standing up and and just beginning to speak out and somebody else would hear them and they would stand up over here and begin to speak out and and just working over one another constantly as if they were fighting for periods of time to see uh, who was going to have the most airtime. And people were leaving the services frustrated and confused and wondering what it was all about. And most of all, it was having a negative effect on the ability of the leaders of the church to reach the lost. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, Paul is speaking here, and he says this as he's wrapping up what he has recognized. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say, you are out of your mind? They leave that service, and there's nothing edifying about it. It seemed as if people were fighting to show my gift is better than your gift. And it caused massive confusion. It had turned into circus. And I feel that this may be the unspoken fear and danger that some of you feel as if when you have listened to this series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and some of you have pursued it. We've had people baptized every week over the last three weeks around these altars. But some of you taking the step from being personally baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered to the idea that God may make you do something in a public service that would absolutely embarrass you have stopped because you are fearful that the Holy Spirit maybe use you in some weird ways. You may be thinking, I'm with you and I believe the Holy Spirit is needed in the life of every believer. I believe that everybody that's baptized in the Holy Spirit needs to speak in tongues. It's an initial physical evidence. But I'm afraid that if I start to live and lead a spirit-filled life, that God is going to make me do something or that our church 
is going to become some crazy environment that is awkward and that's filled with confusion and it will limit our ability to reach the lost who may come in and have no idea what in the world is going on here. So the question becomes, how can I make this work and not become part of a spiritual crazy house? And here we find the instructions for that in 1 Corinthians 14. When Paul provides for us a proper pathway to function and use of spiritual gifts. Now, I need to tell you right now that the content of this message this morning is less about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and more about the impact of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it's very important that we learn the principles of how to function appropriately in the gifts of the Spirit within the church. And so I, I, I want to highlight, I was going to say quickly highlight, but I may not quickly highlight. I'm going to highlight six principles that I find in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that I believe are important for us. And if you have your bulletin, there's room there for you to jot down some notes and some verses with us. The first principle that Paul begins to express to them is expectation. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. I love the way that that is worded by Paul, and here's why. Because the first thing that he mentions in this is to follow the way of love. We have, we have some churches that have taken this verse and focused only on that. I'm going to follow the way of love. I'm going to do everything in our church circle to make sure that we love the unbeliever and the new person so much that everything that takes place is comfortable to them. So they, they go out of their way to make sure that everything is done with others in mind. Or they, they want to design church services so that people can relate and understand everything. And they want their spiritual experiences to draw people to Jesus, not, not cause them fear that may make them run away. Or they want to make the, the Bible and the gospel relevant to those who are far from God. All of this is good stuff. But there's another part to this that he mentions. He also says, and I want you to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. There are other churches that jump into this one and say, this is the way our nature is going to be. And so they want to see every aspect of God's power released in lives. It doesn't matter who's there. Uh, if there's a spiritual experience to be had, they want to experience it. They want to design the church services where people have unlimited ability and liberty and freedom and, and be able to what they call soak in the spirit where everything is done so that we can experience everything that God has. And so their services are far less structured because we want to make sure that this church belongs to God and God can do anything he wants. I believe there's a balance there that's important and appropriate for us. Here's the issue. If you go too far to one side or too far to the other, then we either um, get to a place where when people come as guests that don't know the Lord and they see the Spirit moving in unique ways, they become so afraid or so scared that they do leave and they never come back. On the other side of that, if they come into a place that is powerless, then they never want to come back because they've never experienced a supernatural God that wants to transform their life. And so I believe that we need both sides, following the way of love and eagerly desiring spiritual gifts so that we can function biblically. It isn't enough to love people. We must eagerly desire everything that the Spirit wants for us as well. We must learn to flow in those powerful gifts and be aware of the reaction of others as we flow in those. And so we will keep those in balance. That must be our passionate pursuit. Knowing that... Which way you personally lean as it relates to that, whether you are one that, boy, everything I do needs to be uh, viewed by how, how are the guests going to look at it, or whether you are one of those that are so passionate about the spiritual gifts, you don't care what anybody thinks. 
You're going to get everything God has. And, and if you lean one way or the other, then I want to bring us together and say a healthy congregation has both those views where we can have everything that God wants and decently and in order. The second principle is this. There's a principle that he teaches of edification. In verses 2 and 3 of chapter 14, Paul says, For anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Whenever God works supernaturally through the life of one person to meet the needs of another person... It is always going to be for the purpose of edification within the church. You say, okay, what, is, what does it mean to edify? What does that mean? Uh, it's described for us as to strengthen, to encourage, or to comfort. Let me just break that down into this. You're either building up, you're cheering up, or you're lifting up. If something takes place in a public service, it's going to fall into that category. When I was a youth pastor... Uh, years ago in Long Island, I remember that there was a service and there was somebody that had given a message in tongues and the person that was giving the interpretation, uh, she began to, to speak and her interpretation was, was not one of building up, cheering up, or lifting up, but was one of condemnation and, and supposedly instruction. And I remember her standing up and, and she was saying, who do you think you are to judge others? You've got to take the log out of your own eye before you can begin to look for splinters in somebody else's eye. And if we look at this through strictly the interpretation of if it's biblical, then we must accept it, you would recognize that comes from Matthew chapter 7. But it doesn't fit into the aspect of building up, cheering up, or lifting up. And so our pastor went before the people and he said this, the Bible has specific guidelines as to the purpose of tongues and interpretation and prophecy and this interpretation does not qualify since the individual spoke publicly i must correct publicly and i ask you not to receive that as an interpretation because it didn't fall into the qualifications of building up cheering up or lifting up and then following that service i remember the pastor and i having a, a meeting with that individual and they received correction wonderfully and were able to stay and grow in the things of the Lord. But I need you to know that there is categories that must be met as it relates to what God wants to do. And so when we are with other people, we have to aim our experiences with the Holy Spirit toward the edification of everyone present within the room. Now the difference between being baptized in the Holy Spirit and ministering in a public setting and being baptized in the Holy Spirit and praying in private is vastly different. I love to come to this church when none of you are here because I can walk up and down the aisles and I can pray at the altar and I can speak in tongues and edify myself and I can jump up and down and I would never dance in front of you, but I can dance when none of you are here in the joy of the Lord. And I do not have to worry about what an unbeliever or a new person might think of me because you're not here. But that is my private prayer time. And there's a difference in the way that we respond in the private compared to the public. And so in public, I need to consider how my actions and responses to the Holy Spirit are affecting those that may not fully understand the moving of the Holy Spirit. Which leads us to principle number three. Normalization. Verses 8 through 12, Paul says, Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call... Who will get ready for battle? 
so it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what somebody is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have a spiritual gift, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. This may be the biggest issue of all when it comes to functioning appropriately with spiritual gifts. Whatever we say and do has got to be expressed in, su in such a way that everybody else understands. In other words, if there was somebody that gave a message in tongues, and this has happened before, that has given a message in tongues, and nobody gives the interpretation, it seems to be quiet in the building for a period of time, then what I generally will do is I will get up and I'll say, you know what, that was for the edification of that individual, let's move on. Because that message in tongues did nothing for us spiritually. It's the interpretation of that that would give to us an edification or something that we can hang on to. It's a language we don't understand. And so that was just simply something there. Now that could be that there was somebody that had an interpretation that did not obey. And I believe that that's happened as well. But we as pastors will pastor that gift and move on in those things. But Paul is quickly telling us, if you have to choose then say something everybody can understand for the benefit of everybody here. And so it begins to take place that way. Now, I have grown up. How many of you grew up in Pentecostal churches? Many of you. All right, so this story is not going to be something that may be unusual for some of you. My dad was a preacher in a little church that held about 100 people when I was growing up. And there were one or two individuals in our church that would regularly be used of the Spirit to give a message in tongues and interpretation. And I'm a preacher's kid. I'm going to admit that I was not perfect, but some of the time I would make fun of them because I could always see it coming. It would start out with sister so-and-so, and it would start in her fingers. You could see it as it began to roll up her fingers and get to her arms, and you knew that the volcano was about to explode. <laughs> and she could be the sweetest woman, but when the Spirit of the Lord began to go... She would change voices. She would change personality. And suddenly out of this sweet little woman that would give us cookies, you thus saith the Lord. And then she would speak in King James English. All of the these and the thous. And it was startling and it was emotional and it was a bit scary and we made fun of her. It almost seemed to be more of a spiritual takeover. A spiritual possession. I go, oh, 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 oh. Like this bolt of lightning would hit and suddenly these women would lose control of who they were and God would take over their body. And as a result of that, and for those of you that are laughing, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many decided, if that's what the Holy Spirit does to me, I would rather not. I would rather not make myself available. Because that seems really odd and really out of place. I have since learned that the functioning in spiritual gifts does not have to be spooky. It does not have to be emotional. And it certainly does not have to be spoken in King James English like that's the language of God. 
In fact, I see written in 1 Corinthians 14 is that the explosive ways these gifts are so often practiced is potentially a hindrance to their proper use. I believe that the spiritual gifts should be used in a normal tone of voice through your authentic personality. I don't believe that God is going to change your voice into somebody that sounds demon-possessed when God wants to speak to you, but that in your authentic personality that God will begin to use you and it will be your voice and your personality touched by the Spirit of the Lord to benefit the rest of the believers around us. I believe that that could begin to relieve some of the fear and the strangeness of the things that are taking place. When God starts to move through you, you may feel emotions well up, but you are capable of managing your emotions in order to convey a message or a word of encouragement in the most effective way for the people that are listening. Spiritual gifts are not released when the Holy Spirit lightning bolt hits you. Spiritual gifts are released when you decide to partner with the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit to speak out and believe God to work in the life of another person through you. And while we are accustomed to experiencing God move in worship services, we can expect that God would release these gifts in every one of our lives as an everyday experience. Here's one of the problems. We have said if God doesn't move in a church service in this way, then the presence of the Lord has not come. I believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts need to be uh, exercised as much outside these walls as they are inside these walls. In fact, Jeff Leake was writing in his book, and he used this illustration. He said, what if you're in a grocery store and you're walking up the aisle of that and, and you see somebody and the Spirit of the Lord begins to prompt you that there is something that the Spirit of the Lord would like to convey to them? Are you going to walk up to them in the middle of the aisle and begin to let the, the volcano begin to blow and, and stand there and yell out in the middle of the vegetable aisle, Thus saith the Lord! Or are you going to walk up to that individual in an approachable, humble tone and explain I don't know why, but I just feel drawn to you right now. And I was wondering, does this mean anything to you? I just feel that the Lord wants to encourage you. One way, they are running from the milk aisle and leaving you alone in the vegetables. And the other, you may very well have reached the heart of a person through the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit used in a way that is understandable to them. I believe that this is the way the Holy Spirit wants to work within the normal lives of his people. Principle number four, explanation. In verses six and seven, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in notes? I have discovered as I have pastored through the years that people are most often open to the supernatural when they are in an environment or a church that they feel safe in. My goal as your pastor is to make sure that you feel safe here. People do not feel safe when they don't understand what is happening around them, especially if somebody gets really emotional or, or somebody begins to shout out right next to them and they don't understand and it's, it's unique and it's unusual and it either is right behind them or right next to them. I've, I've watched people and their eyes get as big as saucers 
when somebody begins to yell out. But the scripture makes clear that we can do all of this and at the same time make people feel safe enough that they can relax and open to what the Spirit of God is doing within their life. And the key to feeling safe is to have somebody to interpret what is going on. And that is why that you have noticed the vast majority of the times, if there's somebody that gives a prophetic word or there's somebody that gives a message in tongues and an interpretation, if I am here, it's generally me. If I'm not here, then my pastoral staff has all been uh, trained in what it means to pastor the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit because I don't want anybody that would ever leave here to feel as if they were in an unsafe environment because they had no idea what was going on. But I want them to feel safe because uh, we are in the presence of a supernatural God who will act in ways that we might not be able to put him in a box. But I, in all of that, want you to be able to feel safe and protected. But I don't want to protect you from God. But I want to have an environment where God can do his work and move freely because the fear of the unknown or the fear is removed for people. Principle number five is inclusion. 1 Corinthians 14, 32-33, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Paul teaches that those who are prophets, and, and when he says prophets, let me clarify that he is, just because you may speak out a word of encouragement does not mean that you have the title of the office of prophet. It means that you are speaking out under the gift of prophecy, which then falls into the categories that you're edifying those around you, and you're speaking it in English. And so what he is, he is saying here is that those who are speaking out under the prompting of the Holy Spirit are capable of controlling the functions of their own spirit. You are not going to be uncontrollable. And that as you hear from God, you can manage the way that you deliver the message and you can manage the timing of the way you deliver that message. Years ago when I was early in ministry, I remember I had just started to preach and there was a man on the front row in our church that regularly was used in the gifts of the Spirit. And he stood up and began to speak out a, a, a prophetic message and I had to tell him, Brother, I need you to stop. I need you to sit down because the anointing is right here for right now. And as we got to the end of the message, I looked at him and I said, Okay, brother, now is the timing for that. And he stood up and he spoke the word of the Lord, indicating to us that we control the timing and the message and the delivery of that. Sometimes we get to the place where we think that when the Spirit of the Lord prompts you, we've got three seconds between songs. And if I don't get it out right, then, oh, I missed it, and it's never going to come back. I think that there are times when there will be things upon your heart that need some marination. There will be maybe days of something that's just stirring in your heart and you're, you're looking for the time and you're looking for the way and there will become that moment that you'll feel the prompting and you will have been prepared in the Spirit because our God is not going to give you three seconds and then throw his hands up in the air and say, that was it. Worship team gave them no chance today. And so coming to understand that there is this inclusive nature in this and that we control the timing and that we can control the delivery of that leads us to a better understanding. And I say this, and I have been in prayer as I say this, so please hear my heart. Grace Assembly is 100 years old, 101. As I grew up in a Pentecostal church, I want you to know most of the churches as we were growing up were much smaller than this room. 
Many of them were kind of long. They had wooden pews. Most of the Pentecostal churches growing up probably could hold 100, 120 people. As a result of that, it was not a difficult thing for somebody who may be prompted in the spirit to stand up and in a voice begin to speak that everybody could understand because the room wasn't very big. The culture has changed as it relates to churches. Our, our new sanctuary is going to be, hold 500 people. As a result of that, there may be ways that we're going to have to change the function of the delivery of the message given in a service so that everybody can benefit from that. We have, we have had, over the history of our Pentecostal church, a system of interruption of the service as the main delivery. That within a specific given time, somebody would stand up and they would begin to speak out and everything else would stop, but it was an interruption of whatever was going on. And then we would respond to that, whether we would pastor that gift at that moment or move on, or there was a, a message in tongues that they would stand up and give, and, and it was an interruption of the service everybody could hear, and then there would be, we would wait for an interpretation. And as a result of that, we, we have had the same delivery system even though our culture has changed. And when I say that, here's what I mean. Folks, we no longer can automatically assume that the church is the safest place in town. As a result of that, if you are a guest and you're coming into church and somebody is standing right next to you wanting to be heard by 500 people begins to speak really loud, you behi loudly behind you, you may dive under the seat thinking a lunatic has come into the church. But that's the mindset of the world that we're trying to reach right now. And so in the interest of inclusion, and please, please hear my heart. I do not want any of you leaving here saying, did you hear that? Pastor DeMent is closing down the moving of the Spirit in our church. That is not my desire. But in all honesty, we have recognized that there may be three, four, maybe five people in a congregation our size that feel the comfort and the boldness, and it takes boldness to speak out, to speak out and give a message. We have entered into a season where even in our churches, we don't have any way of introducing people to what may be a spiritual gift for them because we have such high expectations that if they are experimenting and trying something for the first time, they better be perfect at it. Or it's not the Spirit of the Lord. What if they struggle a little bit to try to put into their words what they're trying to say? Well, that wasn't of God. It wasn't, it wasn't flowing. It wasn't smooth. Folks, the first sermon I ever preached was horrible. It was bad. But people gave me grace to let me get better. And I hope that years from now I'll be better at delivering than I am. We've got to learn to find situations where we can begin to have other people step up in the gifts. And here's the way I believe that we can do it. Some of you will never speak out in church. You're going, that will not be me. Yet, God prompts your heart all the time. And so what I'm going to encourage you to do is, would you be willing to write that out? And come to me or one of the other pastors and say, I'm, I'm sensing God, this may be of God. Would you, would you test this with me and give us the opportunity that if it is that we could stand here and we could publicly declare what God laid upon your heart and you would be used in a gift without having to have to step out of your personality and, and do something that you would be uncomfortable doing. 
there are other times, and we are getting to the place, and I know that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm prophetically speaking that we're in the last few months of this building. That when we get into the next building, it very, it very well may be that if you have a message that you want to get, you're going to have to come to the front so that we can give you a microphone so that people can hear. Because I can tell right now, if somebody speaks over here, the people in the overflow are going, did somebody say something up there? What's going on? Especially when the, if the music team is, is playing a little bit. And I've had people say, what, what was it that was said? And so we've had to repeat. We may have to learn new delivery systems but it doesn't take away the power of God, nor does it take away the freedom of the Holy Spirit. We just have got to begin to learn that God sometimes wants to use shy people and quiet people in the gifts of the Spirit to speak a word that would edify the body. And the only way that may take place is finding new ways by which we can include the gifts into the church. Now, if any of you leave here and say, I am quenching the Spirit, then you have no understanding whatsoever. I am not saying that there will never be room for an interruption in the service for the Spirit of God because that very well may be that it will continue to happen and that is fine. But I need you to understand the culture shift that has taken place. And the Spirit of God continues to want to move in the hearts and lives. So in the interest of inclusion, I want to make other ways available for you to begin to experiment. Now, having said that, let me also say this. A Sunday morning service is not the only place where the manifestations of the Spirit can take place. It needs to be taking place in your Bible studies at home, in your small groups, in youth group, in children's church. The Holy Spirit may begin to spark your heart as you're sitting next to somebody at a restaurant and say, I don't know why, I just feel like I need to share this with you. I want us to learn as Spirit-filled people to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing in us and through us so that we can, we can make a difference in our world, but we don't have to be weird about it. But if this is the only place, and this setting is the only place that it takes place, then we have shortchanged what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The last principle, principle number six, preparation. And the worship team, would you please prepare yourself? Verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word or a, of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done for the strengthening of the church. Because the Holy Spirit lives within every believer, and since he's never without the capacity, listen, the Spirit of God is never without the capacity to demonstrate his power, we should anticipate that he will constantly show up in our lives. You need to be prepared that the Spirit of the Lord is going to use you and not automatically exempt yourself from that because the moment you've prepared yourself, the Spirit will begin to use you and you need to understand and anticipate that in those living moments, in those moments, they are filled with divine potential as the Holy Spirit fills your life to benefit another. Bruce Wilkinson in his book, You Were Born for This, Seven Keys to Predictable Miracles, said this, You were born as a Holy Spirit-empowered and filled believer to be a living link between heaven and earth. You were born to be God's ambassador in everyday miracle territory, making him visible in unforgettable ways. But the miraculous touches of heaven that God wants to accomplish his will through will come in all sizes, but mostly they will be of the personal everyday use so that you can be a part of it. Personal everyday use of the power of God through a spirit-filled believer. So... Therefore, you need to live prayed up, tuned up, and ready to be used by God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. 
The way I want to conclude this this morning is this way. I understand that this was way more instructional than rah-rah, and that's okay. We need, we need times of all of that. But there was something happened last week that I don't want to recreate, but I, I, I want us to understand. There, there is a response that comes from us as we step forward. Last week, we gathered around the altar, and we began to sing, and there was a breakthrough that began to take place. There were people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit that we didn't even lay hands on because they got so caught up in the power of praise that that's where it began to flow from. And so I'm going to ask that you would step out again today, and if you want to come and stand around the aisle, you can do that. I know that we have way more people than we'll ever be able to get around the altar, but I want us today to practice response. Lord, we're going to sing. I, I, I just stood up here. Normally, I sing louder than all of you because only they can hear me. But I just, I listened today, and I heard the praises of God's people, and, and it began to overwhelm me with emotion as you begin to sing. So I want to invite you to come. Would you just step out now? Come on, come on, right now. We're going to begin to sing. And I'll conclude the service after we sing a song here, but I, I want you to come to the place where you're saying, Lord, I want the spirit to be relevant in my life and me to be relevant in our world I just want to be relevant Lord but I want to be filled with your power and filled with your strength